0: Welcome to season two of Talkin' Turns, where we take turns talking, and the talk takes a turn. I'm your host, George Knapp. Just a friendly reminder, this show contains adult content and is for mature audiences only. Hey, Devin. Hey, George. Uh, Devin Cribb, no S. Thank you. (laughs) We can't believe that got through editing last time. But anyway, is joining me... And today we're going to talk about mental health issues and specifically, actually, uh, from a point of view of Devin. So I appreciate her willingness to have this discussion about personal matters. And um, I'm sure I'll throw a few things in about my life and my issues and others. So here we go. What message ultimately, like, what's the overarching message you want to send through this podcast?
1: I think the biggest thing I want to get through to this is that people with mental health are just normal people most of us are just trying to live life just like everybody else is. And there's quite the stigma. And we're not all the crazy people and things that the movies and the news and everybody makes us out to be. And we're just, we're struggling just like everybody else, you know? Um, And I think even neurotypical people are struggling just as much as we are sometimes just with different, um, different things. But I don't think, I think what I, and am just trying to get across is that mental health, people with mental health issues are normal. I mean, yeah, we, I we think should be treated as such.
0: No, I think that the the key to me is just talking about it as a health issue. You know, we don't go around talking about so-and-so has a heart problem or high cholesterol or blood pressure, whatever. People just have it. They treat it. They deal with it. Hopefully they treat it and deal with it. Those that don't, usually it it, it causes a problem. So it's the same thing with men- with quote-unquote mental health, in my opinion. You know, if you treat it, you're being responsible. And if you don't treat it, you're not being responsible necessarily. But, I mean, to me, they're one and the same. So I do appreciate it. For starters, I wrote down some questions just to get us rolling. Okay. How would you rate your average mental health today versus five years ago and ten years ago? I mean, you've indicated to me off uh, mic that you've kind of worked, been working on these issues for a while. So, So how are you doing today versus five and ten years ago?
1: Um so about 10 years ago, 10 years ago I would say I would have considered myself pretty normal. They thought there was some ADD there, maybe some depression, but nobody diagnosed me officially with anything. So that would have been about 23. I was 24, 25 when they finally diagnosed me with ADD, probably, and they did say that some of that had to do with maybe some depression and anxiety, and they just wanted to treat the ADD. Nothing else was treated. And then probably in like 2013 is when we really noticed depression. So about six years ago is when things really started coming to the surface. Went to counseling, took my antidepressants, great, you know, got through it. You know, life's a roller coaster up, down. I was feeling good for a few years. And then last fall was when where everything just went downhill. And that's when the depression got really bad, the anxiety became unbearable, panic set in. And then I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So, all that stuff before had been diagnosed but not properly treated, there was underlying issues that no one had ever diagnosed. And if I had been treated properly from the beginning, I don't think I would be, I don't think what happened last fall would have happened. So just trying to relearn everything at this point.
0: Okay. That's, thanks for that. That's interesting. The um, issue of diagnosis I've, i I've found even with my issues, it seems to be a, a common theme when I talk to other people and i'm not saying that psychiatrists or psychologists or medical doctors are incompetent i don't i'm not saying that i'm just not sure the system again going back to the treating it like a, any other disease is is so um tuned in as well as it could be or should be in my case, particularly, I know that I don't always disclose 100% of everything to my doctor. I mean, if I see a therapist, I'm more likely to hold little bits and pieces back than I would be when I see my medical doctor. And um, so obviously, I'm doing myself a disservice. But again, because of the stigma and other things you've talked about, I mean, I clearly have major anxiety issues and I have had since I was a child. I remember actually accidentally reading my patient file at my dentist. They left it sitting on the desk next to my chair and they walked out of the room and of course being a smart little kid as I was, I broke into it and started reading it and in, in big bold letters on the very front said Inc- incredibly anxious and so I was like, oh at least I could identify now I knew what it was called because up until then I had these feelings or these issues and I didn't know what to call them and so that was the good news. The bad news was it was almost a reinforcement or it was kind of like a you know a label. It's like, oh, now right. I'm an anxious kid. And um, so that was a, a kind of a good news, bad news thing for me. Do you find that you have more or less or, or it's variable as far as the ups and downs? You talked about roller coaster. I mean, I'm very much that kind of – I, I I'm, haven't officially been diagnosed as being bipolar, but I do have manic moments where I will work like on this podcast for 14 straight hours, absolutely dive into it, and then I have days where I don't even want to get off the couch or even out of bed. And I know borderline is different than bipolar. It
1: is. And I guess like from what I understand about bipolar, and I, and I don't know that much about it. I really just know more about borderline. But bipolar has those manic moments that can last days or weeks. And borderline is lots of emotions, fast energy. We're either really sad for a moment or really happy, and we can't control it in that moment. Um, It's not a whole day thing. The depression and the anxiety is what lasts days for me. I'm really having to relearn everything and how I control my emotions, how I act towards people, how I speak towards people, basically everything I've ever known about feelings and emotions and relationships, I'm having to relearn it. So that's a struggle every day, but the depression, the anxiety, it varies. Um, It could be a different trigger. It could be the weather. I mean, it could be...
0: So there so there are external factors that you believe do influence your mood, for lack of a better term, whether those external factors are, like you said, the weather or events at work or at home or uh, yeah. in your life. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you, you mentioned a couple of different times about relearning. So what are, if you don't mind sharing, what are a couple either really important to you, things that you've learned, and or preferably and, so we can have a nice long podcast, and things that maybe people just absolutely would never consider is is either in any aspect of their life, philosophy, mental health, physical health, things that you learned about your emotions that you had to kind of relearn.
1: So go back to the first part, because yeah, I'll give you an and. Okay. Give me the first part.
0: Okay. So the first part is, in What's the most what are the most one or two most important things that you had to relearn as far as the impact on your life?
1: I'm really just having to learn how to control my emotions from day to day in the moment. Um I'm the type of person that when you say something to me, I can snap real quick and I can either get really like frustrated and there's no reason for me to be to a normal neurotypical person. There's no reason for me to snap. There's no reason for me to get upset. And so I've really had to learn how to be in the moment. It's DBT therapy. That's <laughs> my thing these days. Um, but I've had what to does DBT stand for dialectical behavioral therapy, okay. something like that. There's a whole workbook.
0: Okay. I'm sorry. I just want no, to, no, no, it's no, so you're funny. good. I knew
1: you were going to ask me that. And I was like, please don't ask me, but you did. So that's it.
0: <laughs> um, well, it is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know.
1: Um, but no, it's the one of the first things we learn with that is mindfulness and just being in the moment and realizing what what just made me pop off like that or what just made me upset and do I really have any reason? And I, I mean, I really have to stop and think where I used to, I would just either get really upset or start crying and nobody could understand why. Um, so I've really just had to learn how to be in the moment. Um, and the other big thing for me is radical acceptance. Like I, it happened. Um, there were some things that happened last fall. won't really go into detail about it right now. But um, I remember my dad saying, why can't you just get over it? Why can't you just, it happened, it's done. And to a normal person that doesn't suffer from this, you can just move on. It happened life I couldn't do that and I would hang on to everything and just replay it over and over and I would literally just drive myself crazy and I just I couldn't stop like it it was this obsession almost and do it, you
0: um and I don't want to make this about me I, as I I may always make everything about it's all me, good. <laughs> but and, but I can't help it it's part of my whatever my issue is but I find myself it's shocking I'm going to be 56 years old soon, I find myself reliving embarrassing moments from seven years old, 15 years old, 30 years old, last week, in an obsessive kind of replay fashion. And, And I don't think that's normal. Because I've never really tried to research or to discover it. I never talked to a therapist really about it much. But I, is that something that
1: I don't you know. replay it in my head?
0: I when replay it, the feelings. Like I feel the embarrassment when it I don't happened. See it, it yeah,
1: it took me a long time to, get, to get over, over it. it. Okay, but once I was over it, I don't. Okay. I don't even remember. Yeah. And then, in fact, I was telling somebody last night. You know, it's been about ten months since like my breakdown. Um, and they were asking me if I remembered it and do I, it's blurry, but I don't, I remember pieces of it, but I think sometimes part of that, just, I think you put some of that away just so I,
0: I I think I could function.
1: Yeah. I think I've put some of it away so that I'm not obsessing over it. Like I was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think everybody, whether they consider themselves to be, to have their shit together or not, or somewhere in between, I think everybody compartmentalizes. I think that For life sure. is not trauma-free. And so people just say, okay, we're not, we're just going to skip that part, you know, and erase that, edit it out and move on, you know, right. selective memory almost. So the, the second half of the question was, what are one or two things that you learned that people wouldn't maybe, people would be surprised to hear about that they may not have ever considered as part of their mental health or their well-being that you've learned to relearn?
1: I think that, and I've had this conversation with some of my friends that don't suffer from any mental health, and when I explain things to them, I really don't know that if I've, I've learned things that are, you know, what you said, cons- you know, that normal people don't consider. I don't think I've really thought about it that way. When I say things... I can't pinpoint one thing. They're just—they're just like, oh my god, you suffer from that. Like, it would never occur, and I, I can't pinpoint because I borderline has nine characteristics to it. Okay. And to be considered borderline, you have to have five of them. Well, I okay. I have seven of them. Okay. Um, and so to me, it's just one big thing. Like, and to me, it all kind of rolls together.
0: Okay, so I don't really know how so to explain it, that. to you. So it's kind of like the you know the the saying about we don't we'll never fully understand the universe because it's like a fish in a fishbowl that you you don't know what behaviors, thoughts, or actions are um, are quote unquote normal and which ones are because of the borderline personality disorder because they're all part of you and they're integrated. So there's really no there's no effective mirror for you to understand right. the difference and when between I, yourself and yourself without right and
1: yeah. you know personality disorders you can't diagnose somebody with a person personality disorder until they're an adult because mm. you have to go through all that kid stuff to right weed all that out but for as much as my adult life like i've always been like this this is just some, it's part of who you are yeah right. and when i i just live with borderline that's what i tell people like i don't feel like i suffer from it i just live with it and i'm devin i have borderline that's just who i am so
0: yeah I mean, I, I kind of get that. I mean, because I, I have some odd thoughts and behaviors and I used to beat myself up a lot more than I do now over them. And I think accepting myself first was a big deal. And then secondly, asking other people to accept me, not accept me as far as excuses. Like if I hurt somebody or do something wrong to some, I mean, that's, yeah. I can't say, well, it's not my fault. I'm, I've you know, I'm, I'm depressed, but I can at least say, look, you know, if you think I'm acting weird, there's a reason I'm acting weird. Right. It's not I'm acting weird to be weird. I'm uncomfortable. I'm, you know, I was having this discussion with my daughter a couple months ago about, you know, we were somewhere and I just like wanted to leave. And she's like, what's going on? And I said, this is this is what anxiety is. Right. I said, it might not make any sense to you, but I feel right now that I need to leave this space.
1: It's and really And so
0: to say that to her, and she had this look on her face like... Okay, I'll accept that because you're my dad and I love you. But, the um, you know, that's something I wouldn't have done even a year ago or two years ago. I would have just either sucked it up and been dying inside or I would have left and everybody would have thought, "What's the fuck's his problem? And I would have said, well, you know, I'm just an asshole or whatever. I would have, jo- you know, kind of shirked it off as being, it's all on me. It's not your problem. Just what, you know, whatever. Right. And now I'm learning to give myself space and to share that with other people and say, you know, I'm I'm anxious and I'm just going to go.
1: I, it's funny that you say that because I remember the first time I was ever really anxious and I chalked it up to just being claustrophobic. It was Easter Sunday and we were at church and it was packed and I my mom had I, we got a central in Florence. And so we always sat up in the balcony and I usually like sitting on the end because that was like my safe way to get out. Well, that Sunday I was like sitting in the middle and I just freaked. And I remember telling my mom, you have to switch places with me. I cannot be sitting here. And that looking back now, that was anxiety. That was not me being claustrophobic. That was just my anxious, but I was in high school. And so, you know, there was, I didn't think I was anything i didn't think there was any anxiety any depression anything um and so things make more sense now things that i've done you know in the past make a lot of sense um now right. that i you have understand yourself yes. more right yeah yeah
0: so so there's a combination of self discovery a combination of self acceptance a combination of actual therapy whether it be pharmaceuticals and or um you know other forms of therapy that you've integrated all of that kind of into becoming who you are this moment, right? Because the Devon I know, okay, isn't a Devon that would that would that has severe emotional swings. That it is a Devon that um, it always appears to be in control and calm, and that doesn't. And that's just the Devon I know, right? So it's this is an interesting discussion for me. You know, well, I mean, we're not that close to friends. We're friends, but we're not close, but. You know, it's it's kind of interesting to hear you talk about yourself because it's almost like you're painting a portrait of yourself and I'm looking at that portrait saying, okay, I don't recognize this, Devin.
1: Right. And –
0: not that I really want you to, like, lose your shit on no. me or anything, but <laughs> okay, not. it's not an open invitation to, like, start, you know, I'm reach gonna, across the table and beat the shit out I'm, of you. I'm not, gonna,
1: I'm not going to beat the shit out of you or anything. <laughs> um, that is one of the characteristics. I do not have a borderline, which is extreme anger. I'm not an extremely angry person. But a lot of people that know me don't see the side of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm what they consider high-functioning. Borderline, right, um, so I am in a group on in one of the social media things, you know, good old Facebook, and Yay. there's about fourteen thousand almost fifteen thousand of us in there, and I look at that group every day, and I there's some very high functioning people like myself mm-hmm. in there, and then there's some that struggle. Every single day can't hold a job. They're literally just in and out of relationships with people. I mean, it's just it's a total there's a um, spectrum just like right anything else, just like anything else. And so I'm more on the high functioning end of that spectrum, I guess you could say. So a lot of people, when they hear borderline, they're like, what?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I know I've had people in my life that were diagnosed as, with borderline and I didn't really learn Uh, much about it. Actually, you've taught me almost everything I know about it, to be honest. You know, looking back and realizing that they were and that they are in some cases, and they had certain characteristics that you don't have. So they, you know, I'm kind of looking, like you said, there's nine elements, and you have seven, and so it's, it's just, I just found it find it interesting. But there is a spectrum. I mean, there's a spectrum for everything, even autism. I mean, right. there's some behaviors that you know, sometimes I think, you know, to me feel like I'm like slightly autistic because of the way I process things. But I don't know. I've never been tested, and I don't know that at this point in my life I'm going to be. I right. don't know if there's even any point other than just curiosity it's kind of like doing a dna test or something right or whatever yeah it's 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 and i think that's also a problem with mental health is that um i'm not saying it's harder to be a high functioning person because that's that makes it sound horrible okay because there are people that can't literally can't get out of bed in the morning and i do but have those a, mornings but when you're a high functioning person it's kind of like well you have a good job and you have this and you have that it's even like with alcoholism and ad- other other addictions i know people that you know have other issues um, besides anxiety, depression, or whatever. And they're high functioning. And so people are like, well, they're, you know, they're doing pretty good. And it's like, well, you think they're doing pretty good because of their outward behavior and their outward appearance, their material possessions, the ability to hold a job for longer than two years, but you don't know what's going on inside. And that's another thing I guess I've really learned over the years is that you don't ever know what's going on in somebody's head.
1: Right. And that ability to hold a job is one of the things that when I was first. It took a lot to get this diagnosis of Borderline, and I'm very thankful for the therapist that I have because he is very knowledgeable of this, and he took it very carefully and did what he was supposed to. But um, one of the things we talked about and kind of threw everybody off was that I don't have that sense of self, and a lot of people that don't have that sense of self can't hold jobs or anything. I've been at the same place of employment for eight years now. And that threw people off. But my hobbies or things I find interesting for a while, I'll do that. And then I'm like, "Eh, I'm done. I'm bored. And I want to start something new where, you know, my sister can do puzzles. She's been doing puzzles since she was little. Like that's a stress reliever for her. No, stress relievers change for me. I can't ever stick with one thing.
0: Right. And, And what's interesting about that is, too, like, for example, Andrea has that specific trait. The trait of she gets bored and tries new hobbies and she does stuff and she's had different jobs, everything from being an EMT to a, a, a receptionist clerk to, um, you know, she's into sewing right now. And But I don't think she has borderline personality disorder. I don't know, but I, I don't believe she does. Right. And um, so that's the other thing that's confusing to people because people have depression and it's very transient. And so they think, well, they don't understand somebody that suffers from chronic depression. Because they have acute depression every 14 months or every three years, they have a bad day or a bad week. And so they look at someone like me and they say, how can you be chronically depressed? How can you be depressed your entire child? I mean, I remember as a child praying that God would kill me in my sleep because I didn't want to live right. the next day. And that's not normal, I don't think. And that's been my whole life, yeah. you know. So it's like, uh, you know, I don't know what it's like, you know, comparing that to acute depression where you, somebody in your family dies or, yeah, it's, it's still depression. Right. And you may even still need some help to get through that hump. But, you know, it's, it's a difference between, you know, breaking an arm and, and having an amputation you right. almost, you know. Yeah. Um. And and so that also also I think adds to some of the the stigma because somebody's like, well, you know, my dog died and I was depressed for two days and I got over it, so why can't you just fucking get your shit together? Right. And and, and I think that was and that's with like my so dad. Unfair, yeah. Know?
1: And 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 I love my dad to death, so I don't want anybody to think that, that that's is what I'm getting at. But he could not understand when I broke up with my ex why I just couldn't get over it. Mm-hmm. It happened, Evan. It was uh, everybody breaks up. Everybody goes through a breakup, mm-hmm. like just get over it. And right. I, I couldn't because my mind did not work like that.
0: Yeah. And so it is hard to, even if someone like your dad, I'm sure obviously loves you. So once wants to empathize, they do get to a kind of a breaking point where they say, I, I, I can't empathize because I literally can't put right. myself in your place because I don't have the wiring. Right. That you have, yeah. right? That's unfortunate, and I think that's why dialogue. I think that's why I think things like even you agreeing to do this podcast are really important. Because, like many of the ills in the world, and I won't go through the list in the last seven days. We could talk about all kinds of things, right? Yeah, I, I think dialogue. Uh, what my best friend. You know, he's written a book about the all volunteer force which you know and and how it's it, um, it's not sustainable and his whole point his whole that he's spent the last probably 10 years of his life with his sole per- stated mission is to develop a national dialogue on the all volunteer force his 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 purpose is not to bring back the draft his purpose is not to um, delve into um, required um, some kind of required civil service you know when kids turn 18 he doesn't have an agenda. His agenda is purely stated as being an, a a national dialogue, and you know it's it's happening in small isolated groups, but it's really not happening on a national level. Right. And you could say that about everything from racism to gun control to misogyny and sexual assault. Um, we're 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 just not talking about stuff. Right. And and I think that part of the power of speech is is things you know there's a, there's a saying that says you know the the best antiseptic is the light of bringing things out in the light of day and i think it's true eventually if people talk about things enough you know actions matter but the the dialogue is important too nobody wants to
1: talk about the hard shit
0: yeah, yeah. and if it doesn't fit on a bumper sticker it doesn't it's not as political right as, you know, and
1: um you only have a few people that really want to talk about it and we we try but you know we can only be heard so much so
0: No, but so I I appreciate your time. Anything else you want to add?
1: There's some other stuff I want to say. I just don't know how we would. I mean, I guess we're going to just take this turn a little bit, I guess. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So, you know, we were talking about. We
0: take turns talking and the talk takes a turn. Right,
1: exactly. So earlier, you know, I was kind of explaining my timeline of how everything happened. And when I was diagnosed at 24 with ADD or ADHD, it's from what I understand, it's all ADHD now. Um, And I could be wrong about that, but don't quote me. When I was diagnosed with it, my mom couldn't understand where was this, you know, I told her in college that I struggled trying to study and stuff and nobody could understand why I wasn't diagnosed with it as a kid. Well, the doctors explained that I danced. And I was so active that I burned off all that extra energy. I burned off the anxiety, the depression. Like, I just, I was active and kept it off. And then it was when I got to college and I stopped being so active that everything started settling down and settling in. And that's when everything started coming to light. I found that kind of interesting. Have I been working out lately? No, and you can look at me and you can tell, whatever. But I when I do work out, I can tell that I feel better. And people say that all the time. They're like, "Just get up and go take a walk." First of all, don't tell me to get up and go take a walk cuz sometimes I'm so depressed, I don't even want to get out of the bed, and that pisses me off more than anything. Um, it's a big thing for me. I can't stand it, but, you know, I do have my days where, you know, you were talking about when you're just so depressed, you can't get out of bed. I have those days, had one last week, woke up in major panic attack, anxiety blanket to the rescue. Um, best investment ever, by the way. (laughs) Um, but I think we all struggle and it's, it's just weird how my mental health issues came to light. Like, it never really made sense. It all happened as an adult, but looking back, it all makes sense and what led up to it. And I think what drove me crazy for the longest was a lot of borderline people, people with borderline, are diagnosed with it because they had a traumatic event in their life as a child. So PTSD or violence or assault or they lost somebody. I didn't have any of that as a kid. So... For a long time, I struggled with that. Like, where did this come from? And I was getting frustrated with myself. And then it hit me one day. As a kid, like, my feelings were never validated. Like, if I would start crying or I would be upset, nobody would say, I understand that you're upset. Or, you know, I there you have a reason to be upset. It was always, you don't need to be upset. Stop crying. Stop. And it took, something just clicked one day. And I was like, oh my God, I've never been Nobody's ever been valid. Like I've never been validated.
0: You were never given permission to be right, quote unquote, human, normal, whatever right. the term you might want to use. And right?
1: I love my parents, and it's nothing against them. Every no parent is perfect. Parenting is hard, right? I will, I and can, and I can from what I to under this. from from what I hear, it's hard. Um, and my counselor and I have talked about this, and my family and I've talked about this. Like nobody's perfect, and I was the oldest kid, so hello, guinea pig. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's-
0: Some would argue that oldest kid gets overparented. I mean, I'm the baby by a stretch because I was a mistake. So I'm just the opposite. I was, I was more feral, but-
1: I mean, they were um, learning with you know, me. Yeah, um, right. you know.
0: And like you said, it's not, I mean, it's easy it's very Freudian and it's kind of whatever to, to say, you know, everything's ultimately our parents' fault. Well, I have a lot of bad memories from my parents. I also have a lot of good memories from my parents. Right. But- I think that, you know, p- parents, for the most part, do the best they can, right. and I think certain psychological characteristics manifest themselves because they do, and right. and it's not about the blame. It's about the discovery, and I think the thing that impresses me most about you, and I think I might have said this on one of the other podcasts we did, but it's I'm very sincere when I say this, is that you've come so far in your life, and you're so much younger than me. I'm so jealous of you. Not in the negative way in a silly way right but i'm jealous of you because you're so really working it it, it, i can tell just by looking at your face right now you're you're working really hard on being the best you you can be and embracing yourself as much as you can and and it it makes me happy i'm smiling i mean people don't believe it but you can please say yes (laughs) yeah um it it makes me like the fact I haven't I haven't done a podcast in weeks, and I've been jonesing to do one. Right. And um, this reminds me why I want to do podcasts because of this feeling I'm having right now, this euphoria right. Um, right. around the fact that you're teaching me things, you're teaching our vast audience things, and um, and I'm sure, like we talked about on uh, the instant message, you know, you're, is, there's some catharsis for you as well right. by just talking about it.
1: Yeah, and. It is like it's very. It is very cathartic for me. You know, some weeks I, I have therapy every week, but some weeks I just can't get there. And so, hello, this week I didn't go. So, George, this is my therapy session for the week. Sorry. That'll be one hundred and twenty dollars. <laughs> uh, no, my, copo th- my copay is my copay is thirty four. So I'll sorry. take thirty four.
0: <laughs> or um, a bottle, or a bottle of vodka. Hey, yeah, either I mean, one.
1: You know, you were talking about parenting and how it's hard, and parents blame themselves. And I will say that when I first called my mom to say. I was in, in a way I was excited. Cause I was like, I get that. Like finally somebody is understanding what's going on with me. I was like, mm. mom, I have a diagnosis. And she was like, okay. And so I told her and she was like, so what does that mean? I said, I don't know, but I'm going home to research this. I only know what he told me. And, um, I think she started looking into it and she started blaming herself and for a long time she didn't want to talk to me about it, but I had to explain to her, this is not your fault. Like, I don't blame you. This is a lot of me. And so y- that took a lot of talking. Um, she and yeah. I had to do a lot of talking with each and,
0: other. And, yeah, and and there may or may not, depending on which disorders we all have, there there's definitely our um, genetic predispositions. I mean, so you know, and just like like we talked about before, regular quote unquote regular medical stuff, right cholesterol, heart disease, you know, whatever, that you're genetically predisposed. I, I firmly believe you're genetically predisposed to certain uh, mental health issues. I mean, I remember my grandmother was was definitely depressed. She also had anxiety attacks. She used to call them spells. Right. You know, back in the day. Yeah, she was back old. in the day. I yeah. Mean, she, when I was a kid, she was in her mid nineties. Right. right. So, and she'd say, "Oh, I'm having a spell," and she would sweat, and she'd get up and get out of the chair and leave the room because she needed space. And then when I first realized I was having panic attacks when I was in my twenties, I would sweat and I would want to leave the room, and I and it it in one day it clicked with me. It was like. Wait a minute! I'm acting like my grandma. Right. And everybody thought she was quote, quote, crazy, and right. she wasn't crazy. She was having a fucking anxiety attack. Right. And they didn't have Xanax when my grandma was alive, and they didn't have significant therapy right. for for PTSD and other things. You know that I'm sure she suffered from because she had a lot of trauma in her life. You know that that that's also part of it. And so parents feel guilt not just mm-hmm. from passing down or thinking they might contribute to your mental health from their behaviors as parents. But also they pass their genes down. Right. then again, (laughs) that's the way babies are made. So you can't, you can't not have, you know, we, we all want you to be here. So we'd rather you be here and have whatever issues you need to deal with than not. So, you know, that's kind of my thing with parenting. It's kind of like, well, okay. Yeah. But I also raised you, fed you, you know, you're alive today. And so.
1: And I told my mom and I said, you know, I said, Look though what you raised. Like I'm 33 years old. I bought my own house at 28.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you've got your shit together, man. I'm I telling you. I my
1: masters. I'm working on my doctorate. Like I I, some days, I really do not have it together. But from most days, you must most days right. I do. Yeah. I, I obviously wouldn't be where I am if if I didn't have two parents that loved me and raised me the way that they did. And I'm very thankful for the way they did. not I wouldn't change a thing. I am who I am today because of it. And so I tell her that all the time. This is not your fault. Please don't ever take it that way. So. We we've gone through a lot. It's my diagnosis has actually affected the whole family, um, because it does. I mean, when you have to start talking the hard shit like that, you know, when you have your breakdown and sorry, there's a mosquito.
0: <laughs> I know. Our both of our. I wish this is <laughs> one of the few times, and I've said this before. Occasionally, there's times it during our podcast where I wish I had video. Most mm-hmm. times, no. But this was one of those times because she's talking and my eyes start moving and I'm trying to be polite. And maintain eye contact with her. Then she realizes I'm looking at something. She looks towards where I'm looking, and there's a mosquito. So we're both like, "Blah blah, family, this that, uh, what? Uh, what the fuck? Squirrel? Giant? Yeah, mosquito. giant mosquito. And, um,
1: uh, but yeah, that. So back to my mom, like, it has been a. This diagnosis has been a huge thing for my family mm-hmm. as well, and we've, we're all having to learn, and it's it's frustrating for me because I'm trying to do things and they're trying to learn, and I'm, it, it's hard. But we're working. But it through life is it. hard. It is, and it, it is. It's just part of life. So and it
0: probably you know in some ways it can also it can bring a family together or tear them apart. And I think mm-hmm. that's a you know I've talked more than once on the podcast about my sister. I never realized until I was a young adult the dramatic impact that her situation had on the family and when you're a kid sometimes you just accept things as they are right you may even know they're fucked up or different or sad or whatever but you're i think you're you're more pliable mm-hmm. you know And then when you become a young adult, you're struggling with so many things from hormones to adjustments to lack of unconditional parental love. At least you feel that you don't have it. Most of us still had it. Right. But then you start to realize these adult things, those difficult things you're talking about. Right. And it was always the elephant in the room. And we never discussed it. My parents were both dead. And we never had a serious discussion as a family about the dramatic impact my sister's health had on the entire family. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it, you know, it wouldn't have had to have been a pity party but i think it would have helped our family significantly right had we spent even even a weekend retreat or an afternoon or some amount of time just again going back to the dialogue thing just saying well you know how has the you know cuz i i think we just all assumed that it affected each us and we assumed that things about each other but we never we would just never discuss them. And so right. there's always that mystery of, well, did, did they care? Did they not care? Did that, is that why they acted the way they did? Or it has nothing to do with the way they acted. They did way they did, or I'll never know. Right. You know, I'll never know. And it's unfortunate. So I think your, your parents and your sister, that's all you I just have the one sibling, yeah. right? Yeah. I think they're fortunate to, to, it may be tough, but I guess if they're listening to this, I would just say, you know, good on you. I mean, mm-hmm. for, 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 bringing it out in the open and the four of you kind of working through it together. Right. I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, it has not been easy. That's for sure. And I'm it, sure. And not. it took a while to even start the conversation, yeah. but we're getting there. That's good. That's yeah. good.
0: Well, nothing worthwhile is easy.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: And so. you know, I sound like the old man that I am. Yeah. You are the old
1: man, George. I know. Yeah. So. All right.
0: So what are the seven? What what are the nine and what are the seven? Do you mind sharing that?
1: Yeah, let me pull those up because I I like the
0: part where you don't beat the shit out of me. So that's cool. I don't know if that's the path you wanted to take, but...
1: No, we can take that path too. I actually was going to bring it up to you. Um, the nine symptoms of borderline personality. Um, the first one is fear of abandonment, unstable relationships, unclear or shifting self-image, impulsive, self-destructive behaviors, self-harm, emotion extreme emotional swings chronic feelings of emptiness explosive anger and feeling suspicious or out of touch with reality so the only two i do not have are the last um explosive anger and i don't dissociate or i'm pretty much always in touch with reality like i never i never just zone out just to get myself out of a situation um but the fear of abandonment is a huge one i just have this fear of being alone for some reason and I think that's why I take breakups much harder than most people. And I will in unstable relationships, a lot of people with borderline will pick fights just to see if that person's going to stay with us because we don't want them to leave. So we It's like a test. We it's test like, them. yep, yep. I've And so it's unstable because we're constantly testing it.
0: Yeah, I've I've um Experience that on the other side of that. I'll just I'll just say that. Yeah,
1: and I, I look back now and I'm like, oh shit, I can't. Like now it all makes sense, and I'm like, oh, that sucks. Why did I do that? Like, but hey, I'm learning. Um,
0: well, it's also kind of I think in some people's cases, and I, again, I'm not an expert on this, but it's a, it can be kind of a defensive mechanism. So if you treat somebody shitty as a test, and they quote unquote fail the test by leaving you, then you can say, see, I was right. You're a piece of shit. You're the you know you're the mm-hmm. problem. I'm not the problem, right? You
1: know unclear or shifting self-image so really just not knowing like feeling either really bad or really good or
0: now is that more like a, a fraud type of feelings or is that more like some days you feel you're attractive and funny and smart and other days you feel like you're unattractive stupid and boring
1: so people with BPD are always looking for that validation because okay. we want that self, like we just want to know people with BPD post a lot of selfies. Like I take, I'm not gonna lie, like I take them um, just to kind of get that right one. And then I, I'll post it as a profile picture, but I don't post random selfies just to be posting them all day. That's to me, I no, I don't do that. But people that post selfies of themselves all day, they're looking for that validation. They're looking for that self-image and, you know, um, but that constant job change and even people that go back and forth between religion and their faiths and their beliefs. And that's one of those things. They just can't find that one thing that makes them them. You know what I mean?
0: OK, so it's like a shifting identity. Yes.
1: Impulsive, self-destructive behaviors. I'm really bad with money. Um, That's one of my big things. Like. If I'm depressed, if I'm anxious, I will lay in bed and shop on Amazon all day long. Not normal. It's really not normal. <laughs> People are like, I no, love to shop. No, that's not. Normal. But I'm sorry, but that's no. Not normal. But like, I went through a phase where like every day I would have something on my porch from Amazon because did I need it? No, but it looked really cool and I wanted it. So um, I'm trying to get better with that too. But that's one of the behaviors. Um, self harm, suicidal, pretty self explanatory. Emotional swings. You know, I, like I said, I go from either being like on this really high high to somebody can say something to me and I can just snap and I'm like the biggest bitch. Like it just, I can't control it. It just happens. I'm trying, but resting bitch face is normal for me. But you know, um, and then I the chronic feeling of emptiness. So like you're just not good enough. Like that's always there too. But those are the ones I have. So. Okay. Yeah, but the route I was gonna take with you.
0: Go ahead. Take that route. Take that route.
1: So when I first heard I had Borderline, I looked it up and the first person that popped up online or actually when my therapist explained it, that movie um, Fatal Attraction with Glenn Close, that's Borderline. And he said he explained to me that I was not going to kill bunnies like she does. Not that I've never seen this movie but um, that I was on this end. And then when I looked it up online, Pete Davidson was the first person to show up. Like his image shows up on Google when you Google borderline.
0: Who's Pete Davidson? He's
1: one of the comedians on Saturday night live. His dad was actually a fireman that died in nine 11. Okay. And so that's where his comes from, but he's very suicidal and he ends up a lot in the news because he has these suicidal threats and, Mm. um, and he dated like Ariana Grande for like two or three months before they were engaged and then they broke it off and
0: So it was like, you know, flat so these relationships are very like, you know, um, meteoric. Right. Really burn really hot and then poof right. gone.
1: Right. Yeah. And so when I thought borderline I was like, everybody thinks Pete Davidson and suicidal and yes, that is part of it, but that's not all of what we are. Like so I just That's something, too, I want people to understand. We all have different traits. Like, I don't present like he does, and he's not going to present like the next person does. And so the media really screws that up for us because everybody hears borderline and automatically thinks, oh, you're just the suicidal person. And
0: Yeah. I mean, when I I hear borderline, I typically think, and this is why when you and I first started speaking, I was, I wouldn't say skeptical. I'll say skeptical Mm -hmm. because the two people I'm very familiar with that have been diagnosed with borderline disorder the thing that sticks out most about them is their incessant anger mm-hmm. at every each and everything and and explosive anger for stupid what i believe are stupid reasons right. you know and um so that's uh, you know that that's a tra- something i've never seen in you right and, you, and you're and, you're not going to and thank you yeah and
1: <laughs> you're welcome
0: you know, that's why I was kind of trying to put the pieces together and ask you a lot of questions and you were very forthcoming and I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And you taught me a lot. So, and again, too, that's just like the, the, the bigger difference too, I think between physical health and mental health is that mental health does present itself into the real world Mm -hmm. and you can't necessarily control it. So like I have high cholesterol, but you can't tell that by looking at me. Right. I mean, you could probably guess it based on my age and the fact that I'm overweight, but there's probably guys my age that are more overweight that have normal cholesterol because it's partly due to liver enzymes and other shit. If I lose my shit or if I'm so depressed I can't move, you can. that's not something I can hide very right. readily. You it's know? like
1: when I wake up and I have a sore throat and I'm running fever, I call in and I have a sick day. Mm-hmm. But if I wake up in a panic attack, which is... My panic attacks usually happen first thing in the morning because Mm -hmm. I just wake up and I'm triggered by things and Mm -hmm. that's when it happens. It's really weird to call work and say, I'm going to be late. I have to get through this. Yeah. But I will say that. Sorry. (laughs) I will say that since I've been diagnosed um, and it is known in my office, like I can call and say, I will be there. I will be late, but I'm having a morning. And they get that with me. and. They, I mean we've just made it very clear it's everybody knows that if I'm late and running late that that's what's happened and it doesn't happen often
0: It would be nice if society at large approached those issues that way it would be nice if you could have a day because of anxiety because yeah if, if if I call off and say I've got you know my st- an upset stomach quote unquote or whatever everybody's like yeah sure fine you know we mm-hmm. don't want it to stay home mm-hmm. but you know i I, I, I get it People, that, that people would...
1: joke around. They're like, oh, I'm going to take a mental health day. And I'm like, but I do have to take those. Yeah, like, right. they're they're real. Right. And I've been told before, don't talk about your borderline to people that's going to keep you from getting jobs. First of all, that's illegal. Mm-hmm. People cannot not hire me because I have a right. mental health condition. You're right. I wish society would just treat it like it's normal, you know? so
0: We'll get there someday.
1: Hopefully. By the time I'm like 90 and I'm. And man. then your bitch. And I've got de- and I got dementia because right, I'm crazy right, right, anyways. Right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. They'll be like, guess what? Anyway, it's every day's a mental health day now. Right. <laughs> Bitches. Right. Like when my grandma <laughs> had dementia
1: and she had the UTI and she was seeing the chickens on the ceiling, like they're just gonna say, Oh well, Devin, she's crazy anyways. So Yeah. 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 That's what I have to say about mental health. I think that covers everything I wanted to talk about. <laughs> the end. No, <laughs>
0: and they lived happily ever after.
1: Yes. With their crazy brains. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right. Well thanks. Like yeah. I said before, I really appreciate your openness and your willingness to have this discussion. And I hope that somewhere somewhere the right person hears the right thing at the right time. And um, our little tiny podcast with our just few dozen occasional listeners maybe can make a difference. So I, hope I appreciate so. that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Turns. Music's been provided by Mr. Scruffy. Some photography's been provided by photographs by Andrea. Please visit our website at www.talkingturns.com. That's www.tlaknturns.com. Talking Turns is copyrighted. Any use of this material requires the expressed written consent of George Knapp. Opinions expressed on Talking Turns are solely those of the speaking participants. These opinions do not in any way reflect the beliefs or opinions of our sponsors, associates, employers, or other individuals associated with this broadcast. Again, thanks for listening and be kind to yourself.